0: The Four Horsemen. What you
1: have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live and exciting color.
0: Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior.
2: Are you stupid?
0: Now, here's Dennis Thurman,
1: Adam Black,
0: Benjamin Kerfman, and... Derek McCarson. The Four. Horseman.
1: We want to welcome everybody to this next episode of the Four Horsemen Podcast. We wanted to kind of make an announcement as far as our podcast is concerned. Terry Holifield, who is one of our horsemen, has decided to pursue a ministry opportunity so he is stepping away from the horsemen and just like the wrestling for horsemen they had many different members that stepped in to the ring and so uh, our newest member who is stepping into the squared circle is uh, one who has been on the podcast before and that is the one and only Derek McCarson pastor of Liberty Baptist Church in Candler North Carolina so welcome Derek to our podcast
2: yes good to be here thank you for inviting me back by Enlight- popular Enlight-
3: demand
0: Enlight- like good baptist we put a plaque on his chair over here instead of terry so he's got an assigned seat now he's official <laughs> there you go we gave him some tithing envelopes.
1: so we want to welcome Derek, and uh, i'm sure you guys will enjoy him as well and we wish terry the best and i'm sure at some point terry will step back in and make guest appearances possibly in the future but we want to pray for him in this new exciting time for him and i glad he's getting back in the saddle actually Shout out to T-Dog. But anyway, but tonight's episode is a topic that is all over the news and something that has been going on now for quite a while, and that is the idea of social justice. And you hear about the social justice warriors, and, and there's so many different topics that people are claiming for social justice. And so what I got a dictionary definition of social justice and, and the dictionary definition that I found with said that it is justice in terms of distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society. Before we dive into that, uh, exactly what social justice is. What we want to do is kind of lay some groundwork. And one of the key elements of social justice, if you really get to the heart of it, is uh, a postmodern type of thinking and a postmodern type of philosophy. And so for our listeners who may not know exactly what we're talking about, how would you guys define postmodern ideologies, philosophies? How would you guys define that? First, way
2: I would define postmodernism is the denial of absolute truth. Yeah. Uh, basically, you have your truth. I have my truth. That's uh, called relativism. I think Terry has often used the expression, "You have your feet firmly planted in midair. Uh, your convictions are as stable as jello. Just comes and goes with the changing winds and waves of culture."
3: He's even channeling his. There you
1: go. Terry hey, to had to <laughs> I'll make one reference to Terry now. And one reference to Andy Stanley per episode. That is Terry's. <laughs> and then
3: he, I don't know that saying. Terry would
0: like to be put on the same.
1: Uh, <laughs> they are. They preach
3: just a lot. Yeah, well, it's not at
0: least
1: we can different. have a little bit of orthodoxy in there anyway. <laughs> uh, so what else would you guys add well, to
3: that? Well, I, I would just say, connection with that, you're moving from the uh, objective to the subjective, and it's about feelings and other people's feelings and and that whole thing of trying to be fair. You know, when you think about to me, social justice, justice uh, is not really what they're after. They're after fairness. And the difference is, to me, justice actually is a quality that God has given that's found in Him and a value that He has told us to follow. But they're after fairness, which is a, a human way of looking at things where you're considering that other person and what they think and how they feel and how they respond so uh, to me that's a uh, that's a, a major difference between where we were and where we are today
0: postmodernism fundamentally is moving away from science and uh, reason and logic and those kind of things and it's just very subjective right and so when you talk about social justice you're talking about, whatever that individual person's subjective understanding of justice is or fairness. So it's not like there's a standard of this is right and this is wrong. It's okay to treat a person like this and not treat a person like this. It's their standard. It's their personal standard of this is what I think should be done. And if you're not doing it that way, then you're wrong and I'm right. Right even though wrong and right don't exist.
3: Right. So, so at times what happens is postmoderns take the vocabulary and, and give it a totally different meaning. They, they still use the same terminology, but what they're after is, is something that is contrary to what the word actually means and uh, you know what you were reading there moments ago sounds to me like marxism socialism communism that that sort of thing in that re- whole redistribution deal and probably a lot of pastors out there that would advocate for social justice that's not at all what they're thinking but that's what the social justice movement uh, inherently is about i believe
1: right and i think one of the th- the, the problems with it is it's it's what's best for me <laughs> like what you know, makes me comfortable, then it's really a lack of principles, and we'll get there in just a little bit. But the principles only is does it benefit me? Uh, and, and that seems to be really the um, heart behind it. And so we've talked a little bit about the social justice side of things. So, how has the, the postmodern philosophy infiltrated to get to where we are with this whole social justice movement? And then there's a lot of groups that are cl- wanting justice or claiming they want justice. And, and so how is that postmodern philosophy infiltrated into these different groups wanting this social justice?
3: Well, to me, the, the inroads have been made there, uh, especially into the churches, as we're most concerned about. Uh, have to do with, I think, oftentimes good motivation, uh, even a scriptural basis of wanting to do righteously, uh, to, to be just in our dealings with people, show compassion and love. And those are all clearly biblical principles. But I think the danger is that oftentimes those things are hijacked by those who have a, a, a different Philosophy and a, a different agenda, uh, more political uh, driven, more of the uh, of the culture uh, wars. And you know it's kind of funny that some of the very people that will attack the quote religious right for their political involvement in issues have just given themselves over to the the left in their leanings politically. Uh, but they justify that when they attack the other. So it's kind of a strange dichotomy that we find ourselves in.
2: Right. Adam, I don't know if this bears with the postmodernism, but I find that what lies at the essence of the social justice mentality is this idea of victimhood. Everybody's a victim in the culture. Uh, the poor have been subjugated by the wealthy ethnic groups have been abused by those who have power Um, the sexually deviant homosexuals in particular feel like they've been oppressed by heterosexuals and so even to the extent that people are saying well i'm a victim of people from the past and so i feel like it's um... really kind of playing the blame game in a lot of ways everything that's happened to me in my life is because i've been abused or because of my past heritage or something that somebody else did, I feel like it really just kind of plays the blame game in a lot. I'm not get – don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we don't have inequality and discrimination. We, we certainly do. I'm not denying that. But I feel like that uh, the social justice thing can go overboard to the victim mentality.
1: Right.
3: Well, and and I think, and Ben, I I want you to talk about this, because this is kind of a a subject we've discussed often, the matter of pragmatism, that that comes creeping in as we think about, you know, how can I make a connection with the culture? How can I reach out to society? Which, again, is a, a great motivation, But what often happens, I think, is that we then begin to tailor our message in a way that says, well, this is going to give me an audience. This is going to give me a hearing. This is going to get people in. Not everybody. Again, I'm not trying to be judgmental to somebody's heart. They they may really have a a strong uh, biblical conviction about things like that. I think oftentimes when a church or a denomination begins to adopt that, they're saying, you know, we're not going to have a voice with these people if we don't adopt their perspective. And and that's being driven by pragmatism. What do you think about that? Should we be driven by pragmatism in the church? Is that what we're all about, political correctness, dictating, you know, our, our points of emphasis and that sort of thing?
0: I don't think so. I think a lot of what we kind of go round and round about on issues has to do with the relationship between the ends and the means of ministry and the gospel. Like you said, Dennis, I think a lot of pastors that get wrapped up in this stuff, they have the same end that we do, which is they want to see people saved. And, I mean, if you can't agree about that, then you're just not even really a Christian. You don't believe the gospel. Everybody agrees on the end. Well, they should. You know, if the end is growing an organization or something like that, then no, I don't think that's Christianity. But Christianity is seeing people come to Christ and grow in Him and be preaching that gospel, making disciples. That's the end that we're pursuing, which ultimately brings glory to God, which is our chief end, but the means by which we bring glory to God is by making disciples. But I think the means by which we make disciples matters, and that's why pragmatism is a problem, and that's why issues that we see in culture, even like the social justice issue, is a result of pragmatism because it's essentially um, if people are coming to church, they're confessing Jesus as Lord. Then we've achieved the end. And if we need to be a little bit flexible here and there to get them to that point, we're still we're we're reaching the goal. We're we're making uh, we're accomplishing the purpose that we set out to accomplish, which is to make disciples. Because a disciple is a person that confesses Jesus as Lord. And so if these people are doing that, then that's good. So the the problem is, is that even with the Catholic Church, pragmatism is the reason why we have Christmas trees at Christmas. And the reason why, you know, we do things like that, because, well, you know, these animists, you know, they worship this evergreen tree over here and offer sacrifices under it. But they can still keep the tree in their house and put presents under it every year and still be a Christian. And that's fine. And so we carry stuff like that for hundreds of years, and we end up with these traditions and different things. And that might seem silly to some people, but in the same way, you have these other other things like social justice where you've got guys that want to talk more on Sunday morning about racial or gender equality or LGBT rights or whatever instead of just preaching the Bible because, well, people are coming in. or It's the same thing. Uh, people, people do that with uh, Revelation. If you want to see your church numbers grow up, throw on that outside that you're doing a series on Revelation. People will show up. People eat that stuff up. That's why there's a million books out there on the end times. Now, if you're just pre- – Of course,
3: that is actually a book in the Bible as compared it, it to – It is.
0: It <laughs> is. And if you're just preaching that book and you're preaching through that book and you're doing that for the edification of the of the congregation, then, yeah, we, we need to preach all of Scripture. But – if you're, if it's a matter of you know our our attendance has been down lately, and we really need to get that offering up, let's do a yeah. let's do a series on the end times. Whole, whole different matter, I think. you know.
3: Well, and you know, as, as we think about that whole philosophy, that whole approach, what another big danger I think that has arisen, guys, is that it's almost a, an adding to the gospel. Mm-hmm. The, the goal that you're talking about being the, the goalposts get moved. And, and it is that if you don't buy into, uh, Matthew 25, uh, and helping your neighbor and doing all those kind of things that you're not even saved. And so you've got to be involved in their understanding, their interpretation of what all that means or, you know, your, your own faith is to be questioned. And, and I think that that's a, that's a issue.
1: Well, I think going on what both of you said, I think that so much of what our society, especially with this social justice thing, is is that truth is derived from experience. That's what our society is basically stating that, that truth is is derived from experience in the sense that so when people come to our church and they say, Well, I'm oppressed, I'm you fill in the blank, right? They want the church to then say, we agree with your experience that your experience is right. And I'm not going to speak against your experience. Hate speech, hate speech, microaggressions. It really is, you know, even though, you know, your issues that got you to this pit of despair is what you're claiming to be, you know, what you're, who you are and your identity and things of that nature. So if you speak against those topics and people's experiences, And you, like you said, hate speech or you're a bigot or, you know, so forth and so on. And, and to go back to the pragmatic side, the guys who are drawing those people in are saying, you're right, you are a victim and you're right. You, you, you know, we are sorry. Jesus would never look down upon you. And, and so they, they try to make, you know, they really build on their victim mentality. And I think that's a big problem in churches and society as a whole, um, you know but we don't do that with drug addicts or anybody else you know you need help we're not going to say yeah it's okay you're a drug addict no we're going to try to help you overcome your drug addiction and it's the same with sin yeah.
0: so, well yeah, and that's the problem is they don't think it's sin
2: yeah and i would even go as far to say that if you look in the scriptures really social justice isn't addressed specifically not by jesus and his example i would even go as far to say that social justice can be an impediment to the gospel because it really goes back to the garden of eden chapter 3 of genesis where the f- fruit of the tree of good and evil is eaten and then god confronts adam and what does adam do oh lord it's it's not my fault it's it's the woman you gave me so what does he do he i'm the victim it's it's not my fault it's it's the woman and so I think that is really what lies at the heart a lot a lot of times of the the social justice warrior and um, you the Bible the fruit look good right the fruit look right good. I mean in one sense, yes we are victims in that we're born into a fallen world and we do have the curse of Adam's sin on us, but in another sense, we're not victims because we're willing rebels against God. and that can be an impediment until you recognize that wait a second, I'm responsible for my own choices and that one day, um, God is going to judge me for my sins and my choices, not the choices that somebody else made against me. So, okay.
0: So let me ask this. I want to push, I want to push back a little bit. So are there people who are by some characteristic of themselves more oppressed than others socially? I, there's no question about.
2: that. Oh them. yeah, absolutely. Okay,
0: so then, so then, what we're saying is, is there, there is an element of truth to to certain people saying, "I feel like I'm being victimized by the culture," or "I feel like that something in the culture is oppressive towards me." So there is a measure of truth to that, because I want to, I want to recognize that, because I think you can go too far to say, "Suck it up, nobody cares about your problems." Right.
2: Now, and, we're not and, saying that. i
0: right. saying But that. I'm just saying I just want to clarify. Yeah. Well, um, and, and be, and because what I hear from both sides is yeah. the one side says I'm a victim and, and you basically need to worship me in order to make me feel better about myself. And then the other side basically says you just need to shut up and quit whining and, and get on with your life. And we're not saying either one no. of those things.
3: No, and, and, and I think the, the danger is what we fail to realize that sin permeates everything in, in our world. And that includes even, unfortunately, those that are regenerate. We still have that old flesh uh, to deal with. And and so uh, to give you an example of that, the other day I saw a Facebook post about this horrible event that took place where the the female uh, off-duty officer came into what she apparently thought was her apartment, and there was an African-American guy in there, apparently a very wonderful Christian man, and she shoots him. Okay. And, of course, she's been uh, arrested and uh, held for manslaughter. Uh, But immediately, the post that I saw from good Christian people uh, that I consider my, in fact, it was a sister in Christ, and she was talking about how people of color are being judged and these things are happening because of that. And I said to her, well, I don't know, the, you know, basically, I don't know the facts of how this happened. It's hard for me to understand, but. You know, you've jumped to a conclusion that it was simply because she was a white woman and he was a black man, and that's why she shot him. I mean, you don't know that, but I did say this: the reason that you perceive that so quickly was because of the depravity of your own heart, and and we all do. There's things lurking and buried there that need to be surfaced and confessed and and dealt with. And I think uh, there's a certain discomfort in in doing that, which the social justice movement, I think, helps us in that respect. If it's if we don't go to some uh, extreme beyond beyond the bounds, so there is a proper yeah. uh, justice. And I, I think. think
1: it's a lot of it is discernment because the whole the kneeling for the national anthem the, the, that whole controversy. You know, I've ha- I've seen multiple people on Facebook post stuff about kind of the whole why they kneel movement, and it usually will give a story of 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 a, a supposed. Uh, injustice and the problem with that stuff in a lot of cases is the whole story is not given and it's pushing an agenda it's pushing a a narrative and when you start diving into some of the the truths behind some of the stuff um what they're the narrative they're pushing is just simply not true but it, it if the facts would come out then Then it would go against their narrative. But, but like you said, I think one thing that I've really tried to do, um, and this is, is I really try to put myself in their shoes in some form or fashion and try to understand where they're coming from and really try to think like they may think or you know is there is there an issue here and it's the same with ministry you know if you've got somebody who's really struggling in some sense it's easy to beat them over the head with the Bible and get right with god but until you kind of understand the underlying issues and and what's really kind of behind why they are in the position they are you you're really not going to be affected with them and i think it's the same thing with uh, this whole social justice thing
2: what if they're right and we're wrong well, let's throw something out. Let's, let's w- look at Jesus, for example, because I've heard people say this, like, Jesus was a social justice revolutionary. I mean, look at the way he cared for the sick and the poor and the disenfranchised. Look at the miracles that he did. And hey, he fed the poor and he did all these amazing things to take care of people who were pushed to the margins of society. So, I mean I don't deny that he obviously had love and compassion for those people but let's back up and look at the whole picture and biblically where does the gospel touch on this and where is too far uh, what do you guys think
3: Well and, and to me that the whole extreme thing is is the problem we've got to be careful not to relitigate the whole fundamentalist modernist controversy of uh, of last century that's Social kind of, gospel. Yeah, it's kind of what I see us doing. On the one hand, you've got legalism. On the other hand, you've got liberalism. And to me, both of those are a ditch that we that we can fall into that will sidetrack us from the straight path of doing what God's called us to do. Uh, and there's just enough truth in both, but to me, conviction and compassion are not foes. They are friends. They they go together. And the one is the outgrowth of the other. What we truly believe in sound doctrine should lead us to reach out to people and love all of them and care about them, because Jesus did. But Jesus described his mission. He said the Son of Man has come to seek and to save and to feed and to – no, he didn't say that – to seek and to <laughs> save that which was lost. And your point about feeding, folks, he fed 4,000 one time. He fed 5,000 another time. Did he not have the capacity to feed people every day? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is Jesus we're talking about. Could he not have just taken – surely there were more than 9,000 hungry people in in Palestine in those days. And so why didn't he go beyond that? Was there a purpose? And indeed, when they wanted to make him king – he refused. They, yeah, he refused and rejected, and what they're really after was, hey, this guy gives us bread. Mm-hmm. okay? And he says, no, that's not why I've come. That's not my kingdom. That's not what it's all about.
2: Yeah, a couple of things that I think about is the statements that Jesus made. You know, my kingdom is not of this world, he says in the Gospel of John. You never see Jesus protesting against the oppressive boot of Rome. He doesn't seek any kind of economic reform for the poor widow. In fact, he even says, "The poor you will always have with you." He did not participate in any kind of civil rights movement or anything like that. We see that the Bible is kind of silent on that issue to that respect. But at the same time, we see that Jesus's mission is spiritual. He comes to address the heart. Most of the reason for the miracles was to prove that he was the Son of God. Therefore, eliciting faith. And I think the mission of the gospel is to transform the heart, and in transforming the heart, then you transform the individual, and then the society, and then you see that justice. Um, so Jesus' approach is an inside-out approach: change the inner, inner man, inner woman, then you change the society as a large. Whereas social justice is outside. Yes. Change the machinery, change the government, change the policies, do it externally. And that way we can bring about some kind of fair playing field for everybody. And I think that's really just an illusion.
3: And, and it's the very thing that the religious right is condemned over by the same people mm-hmm. <laughs> that they're, it's the pot calling the kettle black, essentially.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and you talk just like what you're talking about, socialism. Our version of socialism would work, even though it hadn't worked in any form of history. Our socialism would work. And it's, again, changing the machine, changing the mechanics and. And not the heart, you know, not not greed or, you know, the reason why we hate rich people is covetousness. You know, we want what they have. The
0: only reason why socialism doesn't work as a system is because people are sinners. Right. If you take that part out of it, it's great. Yes. It works just like the early church. Had
3: paradise on earth. it, It would be wonderful. But even that, you know, that kind of socialism in the in the early church, it was in the church. It was. Among right. God's people, and it was a voluntary thing, like Ananias and Sapphira. Remember, where they got right. judged, mm-hmm. they they weren't killed by God because uh, they they were stingy, but because they lied. Okay, mm-hmm. it was their hypocrisy. Nobody was forced to sell everything and give it. They did that out of a motivation of love. So back to to Derek's point. We're not saved because we treat people justly, but we treat people justly because we're saved.
2: Right. And the idea that if you don't adopt the full social gospel or excuse me, social justice, then you don't have the full gospel. That's just wrong right. because exactly. the gospel isn't about a social order. The gospel is about a spiritual condition right. that we have. And I think that. Some in the Christian community, some in the church who are very zealous about social justice, I think they're adding things to the gospel that aren't there. And Dennis, you pointed that out. You know, the good works, that's a result of the fruit that we bear because we have a root in Jesus Christ. Right. I think
0: Archie Sproul talks about how God has two forms of non justice. He has non justice and injustice. And so injustice would be something wicked. And that obviously God doesn't commit wicked acts because he's good, but he also has non-justice. And so, like, grace and mercy are a form of non-justice. Absolutely. And so part of the problem is, as Christians, is, is like, we don't agree with social justice because we don't believe that the example of Christ is giving people justice all of the time. Now, granted, uh, those who die in their sins will receive God's justice and his wrath, but the good news is that we won't. That he, he received God's justice for us and that instead we received mercy and grace. And so really the example that we should have towards the LGBT person, towards the person of another race, a different socioeconomic status, a different uh, sex, whatever it is should be an attitude of grace and mercy. And so it's not a matter of let's level the playing field and be fair. It's a matter of, no, you know what? I'm actually going to esteem you higher than myself. Like the scripture says, and the acts and the love that I do for you is going to be more than you deserve because that's what I receive. And so I'm just going to demonstrate to you what I've also received. And so the reality is, is the standard as Christians that we're aspiring to is not justice. It's
3: grace. Right. And to follow up on that, when, when we say we have the attitude well, I don't deserve that treatment that I'm receiving. The truth is what we deserve is hell. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that's the non-justice. We, all got what we that's deserve. What we would
2: get justice in the divine sense, and there'd we'd, be none of us we'd left. We'd be in trouble.
1: Yeah. That's exactly right.
0: Yeah. So as Christians, we're a people that celebrates uh, imbalance and the fact that things are not fair because that's all our hope is in the fact that things are not fair for us.
1: Right. And all that boils down to, and you guys were just hitting on it, is is our authority. And that is is scripture. It's not some cultural norm. In in a group of guys, the Angry Calvinist group is how we're going to name them. But uh, James White and uh, John MacArthur, who was some other uh, Vody Bachman, who else?
3: That was some of the main ones. But you know, Phil Johnson, yeah, Phil Johnson, John MacArthur pretty much said he considers the social justice movement to be uh, one of the most dangerous things that's come along to compromise the gospel. I mean. That's not his exact quote, but it was right. it was along those lines. And boy, did he catch the yes, flack and create a firestorm there. I think that might be a little bit excessive, but you know, nobody wonders where he's where John MacArthur stands, <laughs> anyway, right. do they? But this this group of guys they came up with this statement on social justice, and
1: one of the, the key tenets, and it's the first thing that they uh, spoke about was scripture. And I want to read this, and, and um, it says, "We affirm that the Bible is God's word breathed out by Him." It is inherent, infallible, and the final authority for determining what is true, what we must believe, and what is right, how we must live. All truth claims and ethical standards must be tested by God's final word, which is scripture alone. And then they denounce this. It says, we deny that Christian belief, character, or conduct can be dictated by any other authority. And we deny that postmodern ideologies derived from intersectionality, radical, radical feminism and critical race theory are consistent with biblical teaching. And I think so much of that. And then the next part is the image of God. And so much of it as Christians and you were talking about, you know, this earth is not our home. and, And Jesus was all about the kingdom. And and so much of this is about identity. Uh, people are finding their identity in, in things that are not of God. And so let's speak to that for a second, because I, I think that that is at the heart of this whole social justice thing is the whole identity, who people believe they are. And so let's speak to that for just a
3: second. Well, what, let, let me ask you, what gives you the right as a heterosexual Caucasian male to make statements like that? Right.
0: Also says I'm offended. You're a cisgendered male. Sorry. A what? A cisgendered male. Uh, he's
1: a bro. Yeah. He a cis. Not today. today By yeah. the
2: way, one of the terms you used in that statement, or they used in that statement, intersectionality. I actually looked that up today. Because what does that mean? That's dangerous, dangerous means stuff. <laughs> those who have intersecting spheres of oppression in their life. Therefore, the more ways that you are oppressed, you they intersect in your life. For instance, poor, black, female, and gay. Yes. Also, let's, let's say you fall into those areas, then you have four intersectionality components to your identity. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah,
3: yeah. And that just makes it exponentially right. worse. You're,
2: you I'm. way, hey, I'm got more to say on the uh, idea of oppression because I feel I'm this, 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 and this. Right. You're not oppressed as oppressed as I am. Right. That kind of idea. So yeah. it,
1: it goes back to those identities. You mm-hmm. know, finding your right, 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 in Those those certain things. Anything else to add to that piece? Yes,
0: the, the fundamental problem is that if God does not exist, then you are just a product of a random universe. And so you have no inherent value or worth. And so you're going to have to create your own definition of your own value in order to convince yourself that you shouldn't just commit suicide. And so You do that through a variety of means now, you can you can do that by selecting options on the gender spectrum, the sexuality spectrum, your personality type, intersectionality to create this custom profile of these are all the all of the different ways that I identify myself. And what's the purpose of that? The purpose of that is screaming. I'm valuable. Somebody please value me. Somebody please think that my life is worthwhile and that when I die, I'm going to mean something in the universe. And, of course, the greatest answer to that is, is um, yes, you do have value because there is a God that made you in his image. Exactly. And he has stamped his image onto you and that whether you acknowledge him or not, you're made in his image and you are one of his creatures that makes you valuable. And that if you will submit to him and embrace that as your identity, then the only thing that you need to communicate is that you are a trophy of grace. And that's really where our value comes from. And so the, the problem is, is that when you take God out of the equation, when you take sin out of the equation, it's just a free for all of like wh- whatever you want to be. Right. If I want to go to work and say, you know, I identify as a unicorn today and you have to accept me as a unicorn. Because that's how I feel valuable as a human being. Our society says, okay, you're a unicorn. And we'll all say that you're a unicorn because we want to feel valued too. And so we're all just going to play along in this game together. And then guess what? Then we all die and our lives do mean nothing.
2: There's your tie in for postmodernism, exactly. No, no, absolute truth. Therefore, I can define whatever I want to be. Right, right.
1: And it gives you a mission. Jordan Peterson, he's kind of gotten famous, but he talks about how there is a social Marxism, and he talks a lot about that often. And he talks about the need for the want of oppression, (laughs) like like you need it. You you have to have the idea of racism. You have to have the idea of bigotry because if you tie your identity up in, into those things, like that is your purpose, that is your mission. And like, that's the social justice warrior. Like you have to have a, pre- you can look at politics. You politics has to have all of these components, you know, all oh, racism. Why? Cause you can build up a base. Oh, they're, they're kneeling. Oh, well, you can build up a base and it's all about, you know, trying to find your identity and it gives people a mission behind their lives, especially if their identity is not in Christ and they're not Christians and they don't have a mission in their life. So they need these things. And that's a weird thing to think about. But when you look at it and you see if if you feel like people are racist against you, you need
3: racism to have a purpose. That sounds weird, but it's the truth. Yeah, a lot of it's utopianism. It's, it's a belief that people have that somehow through enough education, through enough money, uh through enough science, uh, through enough development, through all these kind of things, that somehow we can construct a tower of Babel that will take us to, to heaven. And God's already, you know, put his stamp of disapproval on utopianism. You know, that does not mean that we don't try to uh, implement uh, kingdom principles in daily life, that we don't want the world to be a better place, a better environment. Uh, that we don't treat people justly and with compassion; that we don't work against those evils and oppressions such as slavery, racism, and and on and on. But but it means that that we understand that until the Prince of Peace comes back, we will not have that perfect peace. And and that any way that we try to artificially create that, what we actually bring is not a heaven on earth; we bring a hell. Right.
2: And, and to follow up on that, Dennis, one of the interesting things about this whole component is the church and Christianity, especially in Western civilization, has done more than any other political, economic, man-made thing to bring a kind of justice to society. Uh, D. James Kennedy wrote a fantastic book a few years ago called What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? basically the thesis of the book is kind of like a wonderful life you know you've all seen that movie around christmas time where george bailey gets a view of what it would have been like had he never been born and he takes that view except with jesus and looks down through history at all of the various things that came about in society because caring christians got involved and put uh, shoe leather to their gospel faith wow. and made a difference. I mean, everything from education to modern hospitals to medicine to the abolition of slavery, William Wilberforce. I mean, just down the list. It's a powerful book. What's it called again? What if Jesus had never been born? Okay, It's probably a great companion for this discussion because you see how the gospel over time has made a huge difference in the quality of life for so many people down through the years. But yet, that's the one thing that our culture rebels and refuses. Right. The very medicine that's going to help Mm
1: -hmm. that get practical for a second, as I often like to do. You were talking about the culture is pushing against it. Would you guys say that the culture is pushing against it because the churches aren't doing it like they used to? in the sense from a mission standpoint or do you think that we as the church are doing that and they're just against what we're doing i would i would submit that we're not doing what we need to be doing we're not feeding the poor like we should we, we're not taking care of people like we should what do you guys think about that
3: yeah i think there's been an abdication of our responsibility to Care for people and and to help them to trust that. Well, I pay my taxes, so the government's going to going to do that, and they're surely not going to be the redemptive component to that. So, so to me, Adam, at the heart of this, last thing I need to say is that the identity and mission of the church here, not just the individual, but but the church is is huge. So that we pack food to give to school kids here in cantler Our church does that out of love. But we don't do that just to feed them. We do that to create an opportunity to be able to share the gospel with them because if we don't do that we failed in our identity and mission as a church. We're not a a soup kitchen. We can have a soup kitchen if that's going to open doors of conversation to share the gospel. Otherwise, we're just fattening up sinners for the day of slaughter. So, I mean, government can do that. They can feed the hungry and do those kind of things. We feed the hungry so we can touch the deeper level of their soul. Right. And, and if we miss that, I think, uh, you know, we've gotten off base.
2: Right. Yeah, that's the whole essence of, of Christ's ministry. Touch a physical need, meet a physical need so that you can touch a spiritual need deeper. And I would agree that uh, always, as the church, we could be doing more. Right. So many churches out there aren't on the front lines; they have fallen in that area of being involved. We can see the fallout of that. Right. Evil prospers when good men do nothing. So well, the quote says.
3: You're, you're not, Derek. You're not a social justice warrior, but I see where you've been involved and others uh, with homeless populations. Well, that, sure. Yeah. Why do you do that?
2: Because I'm commanded to, and because uh, I feel a a desire and a need that if I do that, I have automatically opened a window where I can share Jesus with them, which is really the great need. Uh, You know, I can cut a homeless person's hair, and they'll be spruced up and feel good, and it makes them feel loved. But while they're in the chair, you know what I'm telling them about? (laughs) I'm taking them down the Romans road. Right. I'm teaching them uh, the gospel in that that five, ten-minute window, and they're listening because – They as, don't want a
1: Mohawk. Right.
2: They don't want a Mohawk. They're a captive or audience. He's holding his scissors at their neck saying, are you ready to
3: meet God?
2: I just lost my whole point there.
1: <laughs> no, but it's true.
3: It's absolutely true.
1: You got anything to add to that, Ben?
0: I would just say that I think as far as the cause of that, of why are we doing less, I think we made a shift, I guess, 30 or 40 years ago now – in making the the means less important than the end. And I think in doing that, what we ended up doing as a society is we built castles instead of disciples. Hmm. And now you've got a lot of churches that can't do more. I mean, I, I look at our budget as a church and I look at how much it costs to operate, how much it costs just to make the church function, and then how much is left over to really make that transformation. And it really bothers me. Right. Uh, that's such a small percentage of what we're, a, we're able to do because I think to myself, man, this is just and, – and I think worship is important. I think God commands it. I think it honors him. And so I have no problem with us spending the money that we do right. to prepare for worship. But, man, when it comes to those other things, feeding people, taking – meeting needs in the community, doing that kind of stuff. The reality is, is that established churches that have been through the church growth movement, they have so much overhead and burden right. that it's really hard for them to do that.
1: We're dealing with that. I preached a couple of weeks ago on giving and, and I would challenge our listeners. And this is, <laughs> this is dangerous for us as pastors, but I, I challenged our church and I would challenge our listeners to look at your church's budget and to define your mission based on your, uh, on the budget. Because, I mean, when I looked at ours, that that got to me. When I, I looked at, you know, what, what we say is our mission, what we say is our priority, is that really seen in our budget? You can semantic your way out of that, but the reality is when you look at it, you know, for example, ours is the building is a, a huge number in our budget. What are we using our building for? Like what like how are we using our building for the kingdom of God? And so we're really trying to look through
3: that. So Christians spend more on dog food than they do missions..
1: Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. so okay. on that note
0: <laughs> no nah. so turn this podcast off and repent <laughs> yeah.
1: if you spend more on dog food it's than you it's
0: 2018 do. your church probably has online giving go ahead and take care of that right now in <laughs> jesus name
1: and you can give to the forest podcast yes uh, you can
0: we actually have a patreon account that you can donate to
1: <laughs> but anyway but no um There's so much to on this discussion and I'm sure we'll tackle more of it later. So if you've got any comments or any thoughts you want to throw into it, I'm sure you can.
3: Oh, I'm sure we'll hear
1: some put in the comment section. Make a difference for the kingdom of God. That is, that's the at the heart of everything is make a difference for the kingdom of God. Peace out. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four
0: horseman. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast. And be sure to
1: subscribe and review. They look
2: at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than best the president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they are calling for Katrina.